Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Here we go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Sharp Lessons Stadium betting podcast i'm ben wittenstein we've got michael rizzo we've got the professor nate jacobson and today we are joined by alex simmons alex how are you doing doing well man hanging out trying to i can't believe we have another golf major this week along with the nba finals uh july used to be the wasteland where i was able to actually prep for college football um i have not yet that's all i'll say we've got a lot we've got the U.S. Open, or we've got the Open, excuse me, Open Championship. We've got Game Four. Did you do any betting for the All Star Game for Home Run Derby at all? No, and it was wonderful. Let me tell you, I watched, <laughs> uh, I, I watched Otani hit, and that was it. Uh, the roommate and I added a, another roommate to the fold uh, within the last <laughs> two months, uh, and so I, I will just say my my betting and uh, other things have suffered as a result. But being able to tune out and not watch a single out of the All-Star game uh, and I watch about five minutes of the Home Run Derby, I, it was it was welcome. I was totally fine with it. So I, I know for content and for your guys' sake, that's bad that I didn't do it. But let me tell you, to be able to just step away uh, was kind of nice. Well, we yeah. do have to give a shout out to Mounty because what did he do for his best bets? He said the over on all of the home run longest distances. And Nate, I think he went, what, seven and two on that? He went seven and two for the night. He bet nine best bets on the quietest sports <laughs> day of the uh, year. Probably, honestly, year to day was the quietest. There was no MLB and no NBA, and the NHL is yeah. over. But uh, yeah, he went seven and two overall, according to his uh, count. Uh, and he bet all overs on each player's longest home run distance. So I don't forgot what his other singular isolated bet was, but he went seven and two. So. Well done, Michael Montgomery. Uh, we'll have to have you back on maybe for some uh, more MLB as we get into the uh, independent races. Yeah, his best bets were the seven over, or sorry, the eight overs, and then he gave out uh, Matt Olson at six and a half to one as his other best bet, and unfortunately, okay. uh, Mr. Mancini took him out in the first round. <laughs> well, yeah, congrats, and we'll have to have him back for sure. Maybe just once a year for the home run derby. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll have him give out nine best bets again. Um, but we do have game four of the NBA tonight, so we might as well start talking about that with the Bucks and the Suns. It's a 2-1 series lead for the Suns, and the Bucks played really well at home for game three, and they come into this game as a favorite again. Um, it was minus four and a half. It's looking like it's moving up for the Bucks at minus five now. Total at 220 and a half. Um, and I was thinking maybe hitting that total again. It burned me in game three where I pushed with 220. But that 220 and a half with that extra hook, that is really tempting me to uh, hit that total again. Yeah, especially in the NBA finals and, and any playoff series. As the series goes on, it tends to be lower scoring, tighter defense, uh, less 
fouls called by officials because they don't want to be the storyline. And the total kind of has remained the same all series long. And usually you would see a total drop a little bit, especially in a, a series like this where it's two to one right now. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of stakes. Uh, each team had an extra day of rest because they last played Sunday. So under is definitely a way I'm going to be looking tonight at 220 and a half after it uh, closed 220, landed on 220 last game because of a 46-point fourth quarter because the Bucks had a had a blowout. But still, under is the way I'm looking. Um, actually was thinking first half under just because the third quarter has been the highest scoring quarter in all three games, 62, 65, and then on Sunday night, 69 points, which kind of made it a threat to go over the total after we thought after the first half, only 105 points, it would stay under 220. But the first half under has been adjusted where I'm seeing at some places 107 and a half, 108, even 108 and a half. So it's kind of not just the we're cutting the full game total at half and making at the first half under. It's shaded to the under for the first half because of how this series has gone. So was thinking first half under, but because is at 220 and a half and it's a lower first half under than just the fifth, like half of the uh, full game. I'm going to go full game under 220 and a half tonight for game four. I think when you look at the way both of these teams want to play, obviously it's shown in the series and some between game flow and, you know, some, some, some scoring output, you know, with some of the blowouts we've seen, you know, Chris Paul wants to play slow. You know, he wants to control the pace on the other side. Uh, they do everything they can to avoid to let the Bucks from get out and running. And, you know, as much as Giannis doesn't want to be in the half court, he's fine to bang too. Uh, it's not something I'm going to play, but uh, I really, I, I, I think it sets up to to look on that side. And, and I, I'm someone who approaches the NBA playoffs mostly from a live betting standpoint. Uh, so from my standpoint, I hope for some points early and get that live number up and up and up and then try to come in you know, under a 225, 226, 227, if you can get some early points, you know, and, and uh, whoever mentioned that the third quarter has been a place where we've seen a lot of points, you know, maybe come back in after you get one of those early runs, you know, the NBA, if, if you can follow a lot of the rotation patterns and the substitution patterns, you, you can find some really good spots to find some angles. Uh, you know, in game three, when Giannis went out really early, I think he went out after three minutes in the first quarter. I banged Suns money line first quarter. And, you know, some for some reason, I found a shop that was hanging a, 167, a plus 167 money line. And uh, I, I wouldn't say it was a no sweat winner, but it definitely uh, it, it wasn't sweaty. I can tell you that much. Uh, so, yeah, from a pace standpoint, I like what you guys are saying. Uh and from a live standpoint, which is the way I usually try to attack the NBA playoffs, um, definitely something to look at there. Ben, do you uh, – I know in the previous series you've been looking to take stars, player props after bad games. And, I mean, we saw bad Devin Booker game one, great Devin Booker game two, and then bad Devin Booker game three. Is that something you're looking at, uh, some Devin Booker game four overs? Yeah, I was actually just looking at that, and I, his point total still seemed a little too high for me. I think it's a 27 and a half. That seems a little high. If it was like 25, 26, I might consider hitting it, but I, I don't know. That That's a big difference to make up, like an 18-point difference in, in one game for the way he's played. And I don't think he has a bad game again in game four. He's too good of a player to do that, but I just I don't know if I see him – 
having a, another 30 point game. But I can see someone like Chris Paul, who was pretty much the only good player for the Suns in game three, have an even better game assist wise, um, because I think the, the Suns shot under 30 percent from three in that game. And, and just by math, it's going to be a little bit better in game four. So I think he gets a couple more assists. And I think his to get a double double the last time that I saw Chris Paul to get a double double was plus like 150 or something like that. And he was one assist away from it in game three. So if you can still get plus money for a Chris Paul double double, I think that might be a pretty solid bet because if he can get nine assists in a game where the Suns are shooting poorly, um, I don't think they're going to shoot as poorly in game four. I think that's probably pretty good value for someone like Chris Paul, who we know he's determined to get his first ring. We know he can play well when even the Suns aren't playing well as a team. And if the team can hit a couple more shots, that's more assists for him. So a double-double for me for Chris Paul seems like the smart move here. I don't know if going hard on Booker is the right move because I feel like a lot of people, Rizzo, have that thought of, like, he's going to bounce back. He's going to have a good game. Let's slam those overs where people may be ignoring Chris Paul a little more so his numbers may not be uh, as hard hit. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm done taking Chris Paul unders after uh, I had that point total <laughs> under 22-and-a-half and on there – Second yeah. offensive rebound, third shot of the possession with three minutes left. He hit that meaningless three to put him at 23, and it was his last shot of the game. So he's oh, good as my me- It was meaningful. It was a meaningful three if you had a Bucks plus five, because I think it was a six-point game at the time. So, I mean, maybe <laughs> not to the win-loss, but to the spread, that felt like a dagger, especially because I tailed that Chris Paul under. Yeah, that one hurt. Yeah, his uh, double-double is plus 150 right now still, so pretty good value if that stays that way. We've talked about totals and player props, but, I mean, is there anything you guys like on the spread? Do you think this is too high, or do you think the Bucks have just such a home-court advantage and, and Giannis looks good? And also series price. I know we talked a little bit about it Monday. It stayed the same where it's Suns minus 250, and then the Bucks plus 200 on the other side. Anything there for you guys? Um, I know that I am not necessarily looking at Bucks full game, but I have already placed Bucks first half. Uh, minus two is still floating out there. You might have to pay about minus 120 on it right now, but you're not seeing <clears throat> that game three where you know your your game spreads four and a half and your first half spread is three and a half or four. We're not seeing that right now. Right now we're seeing four and a half, five, and the first half spread is still two, two and a half. I think that. Uh, we could see the Bucks coming out ready to go, similar to Game 3. I mean, the Suns shot pretty well in the first quarter, and as we mentioned, Giannis checked out early, and, and the, the Suns were able to uh, to be winning after the first quarter and almost midway through the second, and then the Bucks went on that big run. Um, I like Bucks first half again, so that is uh, the way I'm attacking the spread. As far as series price goes, I was one of those people that hopped on a 4-1 to one after Game 2, so I'm sitting back and waiting. Now that it's cut in half, I obviously don't see the need to, to have action on it, but I don't know. I think that if you like the Bucks, uh and you think they're going to win this game, why not sprinkle a little something on 2-1 to one and then see what it's sitting at after uh, if the series is tied up at 2-2. Two, 4-1, two. you got to be feeling good, huh? A little. A little. I don't know. I I told the guys last week this kind of feels like one of those series where the home team just wins every game and sure. we go to seven and the Suns are, you know, but by then I could I'll have options if it, if it gets to seven. So we'll see. Yeah, I'd say the one thing, if you if you like the Suns wait, uh, it looks like fives are really popping up across the different shops right now. And it, I, I think it's going to get there. Um, yeah, I I for me, this this is going to be bucks or pass. Um 
you know, unless unless the Suns come out and shoot the lights out, uh, the NBA likes to uh, we, we they like to extend the series where they can. And I, I, I mean, Giannis clearly the knee isn't an issue, uh, or at least he's able to he's gotten back to be able to be that battering ram uh, and just do whatever he wants, create foul trouble. And at home, clearly the free throws aren't as much of an issue as they are on the road. Uh, so I, I, I'm not going to be back in the Suns tonight. I, I'm not going to be laying five. I'm not going to be laying four and a half. Uh, but I like where Rizzo's going there with Bucks first half. Uh, but with this thing creeping out and continuing to get closer to five, uh, it's a pass for me. Um, however, I, yeah, I, you know, saving it for the best bets segment. I do have a player prop that kind of plays into this. Uh, that I think we we do see with this in Milwaukee, uh, some kind of same game script in a certain sense. Uh, but you know, it, in the sense of saving it for the best bet segment, I I will do exactly that. Yeah, Giannis was 13 of 17 from the three throw line in Game Three at home. So when fans aren't uh, mocking him and counting down like they have been in in Phoenix and when we were in Atlanta and then the probably the series before in Brooklyn, if the fans cared enough or we're knowledgeable enough what to do. Uh, Giannis has just been better, which is expected at home, but he was, he was much better uh, the other night. What a the shot one. at the wine and cheese crowd there, Nate, man. Yeah. Brooklyn, the Brooklyn fans were the one that started the counting. <laughs> Did they? Yeah. I don't know. The NBA playoffs have been going no on respect. so long. I, don't, I, I have no, I have no knowledge. And I was also on vacation for, for most of that series. What a so. shot, man. Such a contempt for Brooklyn. Yeah, Pat Tool takes yeah. umbrage with that. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the one number I will throw out, I think I threw it out on Monday, but the Suns are incredibly good after a loss, and this is the one. This is the only reason I'm a little timid to support the Bucks, even at that high of a spread. But they are 18 and seven against the spread after a loss, which is an NBA best. They're 72 percent against the spread, a win percentage after a loss, and they're 76 percent just straight out winning after a loss, which is the best in the NBA. So if you like trends and if you if you like going with the trends, the trends here say the Suns win 76% of their games after a loss. So maybe you you hit that plus 170 if you feel like there's value there on the money line. All right, should we talk golf? Yes. I think, think it's golf time. Talk the, talk the uh, Open Championship, a.k.a. British Open. Uh Royal St. George's Golf Club hasn't hosted in 10 years. Um, and I know, Nate and Alex, you really wanted to dive into this one, I'm sure. So, uh, Nate, tell us, uh, and Alex, tell us what uh, what people should know, what you're looking at. Um, obviously, knowing the course is important. Knowing the weather for the Open is obviously very important as well, with it being in England and, and the weather being uh, wet and crazy over there. So, what, what should people know? What are you looking at? Uh, and everything like that. I'll lead uh, off here first. Uh, I, I sh- we're not calling it the Open Championship. It's the British Open. That's what I, don't I know wanted when you, they, wanted I don't know say. when they decided that. You know, for when I was a kid, and ESPN and ABC had it, it was the British Open, British Open. And then someone just decided, hey, we're going to call it by its real No, this is America. We call it the British Open. The Open <laughs> is the U.S. Open, damn it. Um, the one That's thing I, I will fully admit, I, I don't know as much about the course, so I will side to Nate on that front. Weather-wise, uh, from what I've read, from what I've researched, um, it's not going to be like Kiowa, where you have holes that are with the wind and against the wind. 
you know, uh, the UK tends to really just decide that weather's going to be terrible and it's going to be hard to deal with. And in the sense of this course, that is crosswinds. So these guys are really going to have to adjust, you know, your guys that are going to be able to keep the ball low. Um, and yes, I do like Dustin Johnson in this tournament. So I'm going against what I just said, considering he hits a high fade with every shot he's ever hit. Um, but the, the crosswind is going to be the big thing. Um, the other thing, the field is huge. I think there are, there's close to 150 guys in the field. Uh, so, so there's a lot of long shots, but there's, it, it, it's a heavy hitter field. There are a lot of guys that can win this golf tournament. Yeah. Cause you have some of the best players we know in America, like Alex mentioned, Justin, Dustin Johnson, uh, John Rahm is the clear favorite, but then you have all of these European guys that we don't know much about who do well on the European tour played a lot of Lynx golf, which is the style of course that every open or British open course is, uh, is suited for, uh, and Lynx golf is basically like just kind of wide open, uh, fairways and, and tough bunkers, but, and no trees. So that's why the wind can really kind of pick up and, I've been looking at the wind finder for Sandwich Bay, England, which is in the southeast of England, which is where Royal St. George's is. And the gusts for tomorrow, Thursday, the opening round, which is going to start at about just after midnight central time uh, tonight. Uh, 30 miles per hour wind is the highest gust. It looks like consistently between 15 and 17 miles per hour. The problem is it's wind and it could change quickly. And it's the coast of England. So one of my strategies that I wrote about in my article was to kind of wait as long as possible because there could be a huge difference in, in weather wave. But it looks like it's pretty consistently going to be windy. Uh, but on Sunday, which, you know, it's going to take a while to get there, uh, it doesn't look like it's going to be as bad, which could always change. But in terms of like weather waves, it doesn't look like a.m., p.m. or p.m., a.m., for the Thursday, Friday has a huge advantage. So it's going to be windy. Uh, it could be windy at times. That's not predicted. So it's kind of uh, kind of a crapshoot, honestly. And you have to be a little bit lucky if you're going to pick a winner here. Uh, 2019 Shane Lowry won, uh, and the, it was a windy uh, tournament at Portrush in, in Northern Ireland. But players like Lowry, they are, grew up playing in this weather, and a lot of the European players did. So that's why, as Alex said, a lot of players could win. As 10 years ago, Darren Clark won, and he was a 40-something-year-old who kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, um, my two cents on this tournament. Um, it's been Italy week in England, as you guys remember, Sunday. Uh, this is another big tournament going on. I think uh, take Molinari, take Migliazzi to make the cut, top 20, uh, if you want to sprinkle a little on their outrights, they're 130 to 1, 150 to 1, respectfully. Uh, I think you got to ride the Italian train while you can. So uh, those are uh, my two picks. Do you have Fresh. your horn necklace on? That'd be the I time to it is, take it out. It is, it's sitting on the bed stand over there. <laughs> is, is Which Molinari, Francesco or Eduardo? Are they both in it? I thought it was just I Francesco. I honestly don't know. I know Eduardo made the U.S. Open and, and was like on the leaderboard for a round and a half. And it was ended up being a, a, a heated uh, race for the top Italian market at Torrey Pines that Guido ended up, uh, Guido Migliazzi ended up uh, winning with that T4. 
uh, that put him in the field for the open championship. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I mean, uh, like a lot of random euros could end up popping up and maybe the weather is a little bit more tame on their first two rounds compared to other players. So, you know, we'll have to see what happens, but, uh, looking forward to it, especially the uh, late night golf aspect of it that you could wake up and watch in the morning. And then on Sunday, when the final round happens, it'll be done relatively early. You're not going to be having to stay up too late on Sunday. If, if all three are in it, uh, uh, to make the cut parlay with all three of them sounds pretty nice. <laughs> I'll, book, I'll, book, I'll book that for you thank you <laughs> so we've got players to target we could talk long shots and then props of course but uh let's start like players to target who your favorite who, who your favorites are alex we can start with you who are some guys you're looking at closely to uh to either win outright maybe get top five who, who are some guys you're targeting sure uh so i'll just run down uh i kind of made made my few outrights here this morning kind of taking the same approach as nate is is waiting to get as much information as you can uh so i i I love John Rahm, but I'm not betting him in this tournament. Uh, I, in a field this large, single digits, it, it, it's it's really really hard for me, you know. And and you know the wait and see, you know, to come back and maybe you know get him after a round where he struggles potentially at a better price. Uh, that's going to be my approach with him. Uh, but I like I know Nate, you know, in the write up on WatchStadium.com. Uh, I really like Brooks Kepka too. The point of the guy that had so much experience on these European courses because he did not play in the Corn Ferry Tour. He started on the European PGA Tour. Uh, so I, I have some Brooks, and I'm targeting Brooks in matchups. Uh, and then uh, also near the top of the board, I got a, a rogue 25-1 to 1 on DJ. Um, I think he's primed here. I mean, he's, he's still – you get the number one player of the world at 25-1. to 1. It's kind of the, you know – the pedigree of the player, his ability, uh, you know, to play when the conditions are tough. Uh, I like him as well. Uh, I can't quit Patrick Reed. I call him Patrick Reed. Uh, but I found 35 to one on him and you know, he, his, his putter and his short game are always going to keep him in it. And you know, the ability to have some feel on these links courses, uh, it's a completely different game, but you know, he's one of the top five putters in the world. Uh, so I, I really like him, and I, I Rizzo brought up before we started that you can really seem to get some value on him because nobody wants to bet him because everybody doesn't like him. That's fine. I'll gladly take the value. Uh, guys, I'm targeting the matchups. I, I think the one top 10 uh, or 20 I played was Oosthuizen. Uh I think I got like plus 150 on a top 20 for him, I think. I mean, you know, if you look back at the U.S. Open – he blew the lead to Rom. You know, obviously he blew it down the stretch, but the guy is a top 10 machine in majors. Obviously, you know, he won the 2010, you know, British Open. He could potentially win this tournament. I don't think he'll win it, but he's all he's going to be right there until he isn't. Uh, so there's a guy that's value. And then I, I'm a bigger matchup player than I am with the outrights. Uh, so I've picked off some DJ. Uh, and, of course, the list I pulled up does not have the people that I'm fading in those matchups. But uh, I got a really good price on DJ, I believe, against Rom. Uh, yeah, 165 uh, on a decent matchup there. Um, I mean, he's he's still playing amazing golf. Uh, one speaking back to Ustazen, uh, I paid. I, I I had to swallow a little juice, but I have Ustazen, uh going up against Tommy Fleetwood for a full tourney matchup. 
And then uh, I've targeted a few places. Jordan Spieth, I know he's a pass winner this tourney. I know that he seems to be playing really well, and maybe he's figured out his long game. And, you know, at a course like this, maybe he doesn't have to take driver as much. Those things can all be true. But there is not a world where he should be evenly lined with either Brooks or Dustin. And you can find multiple places where he is evenly lined with Brooke or Dustin at 110 each side. And, and I'm going to fade the hell out of him in this tournament, in this spot. I, I just don't see it. I don't think it's priced right. So uh, those are some things I've targeted. And that's really one that jumped out to me this morning that really did not make sense. Uh, so I made sure uh, to fade speed in both of those spots because I, I personally, I just, I, you know, he thinks it's coming together. I, I don't. So that's where I'm at. Uh, kind of entering, entering tomorrow or I late tonight with the uh, overseas time change. All right. A lot of good stuff there, Alex. I uh, personally am I'm terrified of fading Jordan Spieth because it sounds good in theory. And then you see him on TV make a 50 foot birdie pot and him and his caddy celebrating. And as there's plenty of other matchups and ways to bet it. So I'm going to attack it in other ways. Sure. Uh, my first one, yeah, Brooks, like a lot, as we know, great in majors, four time major winner, finished second at the PGA at Kiowa two months ago and then tied for fourth at the U.S. Open. And he had a real chance to get at the clubhouse at a, at a decent number to maybe get into a playoff, uh, but had a, you know, was aggressive and as he should have been and struggled down the stretch. But like the fact that he has experience playing in Europe at link style courses, 16 to one would be my buy price on Brooks. That's going to going to be a bet I make shortly after the show uh, talking about players who are unpopular uh, you mentioned Patrick Reed. You mentioned some drift on Dustin Johnson, even though he's 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 well liked. He's just not maybe in the best form. But Bryson DeChambeau has dropped down to 35 to one. I don't think anyone is betting on Bryson, and there's a lot of bad things going with for him, I guess, in terms of splitting up with his caddy, missing the cut at Rocket Mortgage, kind of being the I don't know the not cool guy in this kind of feud that's going on with Brooks Kepka, just kind of trying to be the like the fun like I don't know it's 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 he's just not coming out of this situation popular so I don't think anyone really wants to bet on him and we've seen this number drift enough where I has my attention especially because he won the U.S. Open uh, last September at a pretty big number because his form wasn't great so you're giving me 35 to 1 on Brooks I know that his miscut ability is is big especially because his open championship record is poor two missed cuts and a 51st but when you're betting outrights, I'm betting on a player's ceiling. And if Bryson can somehow figure it out, maybe get lucky with the weather, then 35 to 1 could look like a bargain if we're looking back on the weekend and he's in contention. Two other guys I'm definitely going to bet. Uh, in around the same age, uh, range is uh, Bryson, Terrell Hatton, Englishman, great links players. Uh, I bet him at the U.S. Open right after he finished uh, solo or tied for second at the Palmetto. He missed the cut because he had a horrible Friday. But if there's ever a major that he's going to win, it's going to be an open championship on this style of course. He's really good in bad weather, a solid putter. He hasn't putted well recently, but if he can figure that out, turn that out for turn that around for the week. I like his chances to contend here. And then a longer shot and a player who I was I was looking back and. I've been betting this player at U.S. Opens and Open Championships since 2016. Brendan Grace, 
2017, he set a major record at the Open Championship when he shot a 62 in the third round. And just most recently at a, at a U.S. Open, where I, I don't think I bet on him, but he led the field tee to green and finished tied for seventh at Torrey Pines. So I like the form he's coming in to, and also just kind of the style of player who's very good at Lynx golf. Um, and you can get him at 70 to one. And then there's a few other players that I, I wrote about on my article at Wastain.com who are inexperienced players, debutantes uh, in Scotty Scheffler, Victor Hovland, who I'm giving a long, hard look at, but might wait to bet him live. And then Joaquin Neiman, who just lost in a playoff in his last start. He has played in a open championship and missed the cut, but he's a 22 year old. So he's young and that inexperience is going to kind of keep me off all three players, at least pre-tournament. I've got uh, two questions for you guys that you can help me out with as I'm looking at the card. Number one, um, I'm seeing a enhanced offering Morikawa at 35 to one out there. Is there, does he have a shot? Does his game play this weekend at all? Cause I love Colin Morikawa and I'm pretty sure the last two tournaments that I've seen him floating around 35 to one, he's cashed. So let me know what you guys think with him. Here, here's the thing on him. He, uh, he admitted, he played the Scottish open last week and he admitted going, he admitted going in and he admitted after the fact that he had never really played Lynx golf in a tournament setting before. And his irons, which are the cornerstone of his game last weekend were terrible. Um, I, I think the reason the number is that big is because he is just so inexperienced at Lynx golf and knows it and admitted as much last week and just did not play well in the Scottish open. Uh, you know, if you think four rounds and a couple practice rounds, uh, at the venue this week uh, can really set him up. He's obviously got a pedigree. He's an incredibly talented player. Um, but I think, you know, Nate mentioned kind of the debutantes of, you know, it, it's a little iffy kind of going into a situation like this. I think for him, especially a guy who grew up in America, played, you know, the junior golf circuit in America and doesn't have much, uh, hardly any Lynx golf experience, I think speaks to that. And that's why that number's so big. I agree with that. And maybe if the weather was a, a little bit tamer in terms of the wind, he could definitely be in play, but you know, so would Justin Thomas, who both of the players seem like when they, when they do well, they pop in the same event the last summer, they probably around this time last summer, they were in a, at a playoff at the work day at uh, Mirfield village. So yeah, I mean, Morikawa is an L.A. kid, lives in Vegas, kind of plays his best on the West Coast, which is much different than where we're to see uh, over the next few days. And then uh, question number two was just, we talked about it a little bit before the show, uh, Daniel Berger sitting out 60, even 70 to 1 at some places, uh, had some pretty nice ball striking numbers on Sunday at the John Deere Classic. Uh, any thoughts on him being able to uh, have a good weekend? I'll, I'll go quickly here. I uh, I bet Berger in every major for like three straight years, and uh, you know I didn't make any money. So I I'm officially off of him. The one thing I will say, um, in this tournament, I try to avoid guys that played in the John Deere. The travel is worse. It, it, it is is a little it is hard on the body, and I it's. Do I have any data to back it up? No. I think uh, Jordan Spieth almost won the Open after winning uh, the John Deere uh, like 
seven, eight years ago, if memory serves. Uh, but personally, that's one angle I, you know, consistently try to avoid guys that played in the deer uh, playing in this tournament. I don't mind Berger for uh, Rizzo. Just he's, you said mentioned he's 70 to one at some places. I also seen 45 to one. So if you can get a good number on him, uh, Daniel Berger is certainly enticing. And I know the the trip from Silvis, Illinois to the Southeast of England is probably, uh, probably not easy, but uh, Zach Johnson, I think was the player in 2015 who, who won the open championship, which was at the course that, if you're watching, if you see a video of us, Alex has as his backdrop, the old course at St. Andrews. And he's always very good at John Deere. Unfortunately for him, he got COVID and he will not be participating in the Open Championship. But um, I think Berger at that number is something worthwhile. I just prefer Grace and, and possibly Neiman in that spot. But I could see Berger playing well and maybe at least quietly getting a a top 10 like he seems like he does in a lot of majors where you don't see a lot of shots of him but he ends up faring pretty well um in the in terms of finishes so rizzo asked my morikawa question but alex i'll have a question for you with your uh, anti-jordan speed sentiment um just looking at the matchups um and i know i've seen a lot of pick, people pick john rom and obviously he's the favorite so it makes sense that a lot of people are picking him but looking at the matchup between him and speed for the tournament he's minus 135 to get it over speed would you say that's decent value bad value that's something worth hitting with uh rom versus speed for the uh, tournament matchup you said that uh can you read back the prices again speed's at what Rom is minus 135 and Spieth is plus 115. I think that's decent value um, on God, that's priced really well, honestly. I uh, okay. yeah, I, I I don't think I could place a wager on either side. Um, yeah, I, I think given the way Rom's playing right now, I, I guess you know 135 isn't a horrible price to play. Uh, you know on man, I'm really sitting on the fence here. This is not good content. I, I apologize. <laughs> My goodness, this is awful. Uh, but no, yeah, I, I just I, felt I like at that price, I, yeah. And as a guy who is, who is fading speed in multiple matchups the way I am, you'd think that I just, I just find it hard. I, I just don't like Rom this week. I, I, and, and I know that's, I, I don't have a lot of numbers to back it up, which isn't smart. Maybe, uh, but just, you know, the pressure of being the reigning U S open champion, being the overwhelming betting favorite going into the tournament. Uh, I think maybe he's due for a little bit of, of a, of a setback here. So, yeah, I, I think that line is lined really well. One thing that I'll say about, uh, John Rahm that is a compliment as opposed to some of the other top players in the world, uh, every Sunday, whether he's eight shots back or in the hunt, it seems like he cares. And he, he fights for your money on Sunday. I remember there was, I think it was him versus DJ, uh, and they were both kind of out of it. I can't remember what tournament it was, probably a little over a month ago. And Rom ended up putting up like a minus six on Sunday and completely flipped. And DJ didn't care at all, was just making a mess of the course. And uh, Rom flipped that matchup and won. So I think that if, uh, if you're worried about him maybe not being in it at all and not putting up any effort on Sunday, that will not be the case. So I like Rom in a lot of matchups for that exact reason. I think that might have been at Kiowa. Was that the PGA Championship? I think it might have been, yeah. Yeah, because he, he carded like a 64 on Sunday and ended up in the top 10 uh, after a really bad Friday and Saturday, from what I remember. 
And he would have won the Memorial if he didn't have to withdraw after yes. COVID positive test at the third round. Goes out, wins the U.S. Open as the favorite. And then last week finished solo seventh at the Scottish Open after being the uh, tournament favorite going into Sunday, missing out on the playoff by two shots. But that's only because he had a lousy Sunday with the putter. So uh, I wouldn't fade Ra at all in terms of matchups with guys at plus money just because of how well he's playing and the st- style of golf suits him. Uh, but also, like as Alex said, not going to be rushing to bet him at single digits. It's pretty crazy to see him on his own tier, especially when you have so many good players in this field. All right. Did we hit, do we want to hit a little bit on college football? A little bit uh, mid-July college football talk? We want to talk Frank Solich retiring. Uh, that was uh, that was the big thing that came across my timeline this morning. I mean, he's been a cash cow for your boy in the Mac East over the last 10 years. And <laughs> He just, you know, announces on the morning of July 14th, hey, I'm retiring. Sorry. Uh, That's my contribution to the conversation right now. I will say, uh, you know, after last year's uncertainty, I'm not betting any season one totals this year because I'm sure there's going to be there's, you know, the scheduling. I'm giving it a full year to reset. Um, There are a couple week one games of teams that I uh, like or don't like that I've already hit. Um, and I can go over those here once I get that, uh, that screen up. Um, but at least from a, I'm usually heavy in the season win totals. Uh, I usually place a couple conference futures, um, just with between the pandemic, the transfer portal, my God, that is just, uh, who knows who's playing where, uh, I am holding off on all that stuff personally, uh, and it's something I'm usually very heavy invested in uh, in the offseason. Uh, but, yeah, Frank Solich news came out of nowhere this morning. I don't know about you guys. That was wild. Yeah, I saw that. But it's, I don't really bat, bet the Mac until it's on Tuesday and Wednesday night in November. So uh, just cool to kind of remember <laughs> that. But yeah, uh, one thing with college football, as you mentioned, how around this time of year, there's usually the time we kind of bet these win totals because there's a lot of movement before the season begins in August. And another thing is I think there's a lot of uh, distortion in terms of finding out uh, returning starters, returning production, because a lot of players are returning because they got the extra year of eligibility. Uh, So it's kind of all muddled and there isn't like a team that totally stands out in terms of uh, they're returning a lot of important pieces, at least in my early research. And then teams like Alabama, who are losing a lot of players, are able to reload pretty quickly with how they recruit. Uh, The one thing I was looking at, there's a top five, clear top five, in terms of the national championship futures with Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, and Ohio State, all priced between 250 and and plus 800, and then a drop-off to Iowa State at six. Is there a team outside that top five, Alex, that you could see maybe – not in terms of a, a value future, but in terms of at least crashing the playoff party. Uh, let me pull up the odds board here real quick. <laughs> Indiana. Refresh my memory. Indiana. Uh, no, sorry. Um, the one thing, and and I know, Nate, this is something that you, you really preach as far as uh, being able to pick your spots and situational handicapping. And it, if, if you like Georgia to make a game with Clemson or to – uh, it, it, they're, I think, a three- or four-point dog right now to Clemson. If you think that they have a real shot to beat them outright, 
don't bet them to win that game outright. Bet them eight to one to win the national title. Because, you know, if they win that, they have a leg up and say they don't win the SEC, but that, you know, they have one loss, but they've beaten Clemson. They're making the playoff. So if you have eight to one going in, uh, that would be uh, one place that I would say I think really has value from a situational standpoint of bet them to, you know, bet their national title odds before that game. Because if they beat Clemson outright, you know, just as much as I do, they become a three and a half, four to one, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so, yeah, after Georgia here, I would say Texas A&M. Jimbo's burned me in the past uh, at 25. I think that's really good value. But they're still in the in the same division as Alabama. Um, God, going down this. Is, is there is there like because I see like teams like Iowa State who are traditionally not up there. A team like North Carolina. Do you think those are teams that uh, because they're not big name programs, but they have very solid quarterbacks and and coaches, and there's a lot of momentum around the program? Is that teams you're are those teams you're looking to fade? Uh, maybe not on the season win totals, but kind of on a game to base game basis in September when the hype. Yeah, is, I, it's I think I think North Carolina especially is is really really overvalued. Um, do I think Sam Howell is good? Yeah, I think he's really good. But I think a lot of those pieces that they've lost, be it they they've lost some pieces in the transfer portal. They've had a couple guys uh, go pro early from last year, uh, and and some of the the guys that are going to be filling those shoes aren't as good you know, as what they've lost. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely think fading UNC uh, kind of early and they're being a little bit overvalued just because they have Sam Howell, I think, is a part of it. Uh, Iowa State, um, I love Brock Purdy and I love Matt Campbell, but I, along those same lines, I think, you know, everybody else now is coming to the party. Uh, and I, I think that is another team. Uh, let me pull up, of course, the Google yeah. schedule doesn't autocomplete like it should because we're not in season yet. Uh, but yeah, along those same lines, um, yeah, I, I think that that also is another angle to look at too. Yeah, and they're the six in the title odds um, consensus, which is pretty crazy to see on Iowa Wild. State team, especially yeah. since Oklahoma's in the mix of the top five. So they'd have to beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game, which is Oklahoma where Heisman's favorite uh, Spencer Rattler resides. And yeah, just looking at college football, kind of this, uh, as you mentioned, the Georgia angle. Uh, week one, Georgia, Clemson. Clemson right now favored by four. I believe that game is in Charlotte. So that's yeah, definitely is. the showcase for that Saturday night right before Labor Day. And looking forward to uh, that game and, and talking more college football. Yeah, I think the, the other sneaky, fun game that weekend, and it's a standalone, so I don't know how sneaky it can be, uh, but I think Sunday night, I think uh, Notre Dame at Tallahassee playing Florida State uh, could be really fun. Uh, Mackenzie Milton, uh, former UCF quarterback, uh, you may or may not have seen his leg explode uh, like two years ago, uh, is back and he's Florida State's quarterback, uh, fully healthy. Um, I think that game was at 10. I got it at 10 and a half. I think it's down to nine and a half uh, now uh, for week one. I think that game has a lot of potential to be a lot of fun. Uh, that's one I'm definitely going to be looking forward to. That's the standalone game on Sunday night, uh, usually on ESPN or ABC. Uh, but I think that that's, that's one that I think is, you know, what does Lee Carso say a lot closer than the experts think? Uh, I think Florida state's live in that spot, uh, week one against Notre Dame. 
I'm glad you brought that game up because I know that game has been talked about for for weeks in terms of just the best week one games. And I, for some reason, I thought that game was at Notre Dame. Uh, but now I know it's at Florida State, so thank you for bringing that up to my attention. Yeah, it's the it's the return game from uh, they played in South Bend uh, two years ago, I think. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, I, good good to know. I learned something today. Yeah, I think uh, and, and as far as teams I'm targeting, uh, the the bets I've made for Week One already: uh, UL Lafayette plus ten and a half against Texas. Uh, I oh. think Billy Napier has a really good team. I think Steve Sarkeesian is. Meh, at least what he has to work with going in, I think is meh. You know, he's the you know Devonta Smith, uh, Jerry Judy, and uh, you know those guys aren't walking through that door. Uh, he's you know we're gonna have to build that up a little bit. And Billy Napier has a really 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 good team. Uh, I think ten and a half is a crime uh, that I was able to get that number, and I probably will be invested in money line when money lines come out. Um, I. I like Michigan State in week one at Northwestern. I'm getting six right now. Uh, but I, th- I think uh, Michigan State could be a team, one of those teams in September that's really undervalued uh, because, you know, Mel Tucker was really dealt a bad hand last year of, you know, Mark D'Antonio retiring when he did, not coming in until pretty much the middle or after spring ball. Um, and But now that he's able to, you know, get his, you know, get everything together, uh, I think Michigan State is a team – Early on, you're going to get some real point spread value. Uh, and then um, what is the other one? Uh, UCLA uh, against UCLA hosting LSU. Uh, I'm getting uh, four points there. I think uh, there's a lot of heat on Edo uh, at LSU. And um, I just, they're, they're, the talent level isn't what it usually is. This could be a game that, you know, they think they're they've gotten the bag. Uh, has Chip Kelly impressed in his three plus seasons at UCLA? No. Is he building something pretty decent? And do they have a decent roster right now? Yeah. Uh, so those are those are the week one games I like. And you know I I think Michigan State really is undervalued going into the season, and you could f- find some decent spots on them in the first six weeks. All right, let's do some best bets. Finish up the show. We've got game four. We've got the British Open. I think we've even got uh, Red Sox Yankees on uh, tomorrow too. So Alex, we'll start with you. What are some of your best bets? Best bet, um, I would say for tonight in Game Four, the only bet I've made on Game Four pregame probably will be the only preflop. Um, I think DeAndre Ayton can really get in some foul trouble once again, and so I, I'm invested in uh, under 30 and a half points, rebounds, assists combined. You know, maybe he goes game one and and you know throws up a twenty and nineteen and cooks me. But I I'm willing. I I think that number's still a little inflated. I think he gets in some foul trouble with you know being in Milwaukee, uh, with the way Giannis is playing and that's you know that primary matchup. So that's where I'm invested. And I I just think targeting you know targeting Brooks Kepka uh, in matchups for the British Open and, you know, finding a decent outright. I got 16 on the outright, but I think he's really primed to to perform really well. It seems like the knee's behind him. Uh, so finding some of those good match, they're fine. You know, finding matchups with him uh, are my kind of two best bets angles. Yeah. I, I like Brooks too. Um, I saw a matchup against Louie, which I thought was interesting that they were on the same level, but I know Alex, you like, 
Louis a lot. So I'm sure you're going to go in different directions uh, this week in terms of finding ways to bet on Kapka. But I, I do like Kapka. But my official show best bet will be under 221 tonight between the Suns and Bucks. As we've been taping the show, it's been gone up a little bit from 220 and a half to 221. So make sure to get the best number. I like the under tonight. Thought about first half under, but since the first half under is 108, which is shaded a little bit under compared to what the typical first half line would be or first half total would be, I'm going to go full game under. Hope it's a slow starting uh, first half. And then maybe because of how the third quarters have played out in the first three games, betting a little bit live over and trying to get a middle because the middle worked in game three. And maybe it works again tonight, but for the pregame bet, best bet under 221. I like it. I like it. I think I'm going to go, I'm going to stay away from the sides in game four because I think that line is just too goofy right now at five. Um, but I'm going to go with a couple of long shot props, um, both with plus money value. Uh, Booker over five and a half rebounds tonight is plus 120. He got it in his last game. He only played 29 minutes in that game, and he still got the over five and a half rebounds. I think he comes out in game four even more aggressive than he did um, in game three, just trying to uh, show Monty Williams, who benched him for basically the entire fourth quarter, that he can actually play at a high level in the NBA Finals. So I think he comes out aggressive. He'll get his good fair share of points, but I think he gets his fair share of rebounds too. So that over five and a half at plus 120, I think is pretty good value. Um, and then I'm going to ride that Chris Paul double-double to get a double-double at plus 150. Um, he was one assist away from it in game three. I think he gets 10 assists in game four, and I think he can easily obviously score double-digit points in game four too. So a plus 150, I think that's once again, pretty good value for Chris Paul double-double. So those will be my two best bets. Uh, talked about it earlier. I think that the Bucks come out ready to go. Um, I don't necessarily know if I'll be backing the full game spread, but as I mentioned, Bucks first half minus two is still available out, out there. Um, I would look for that number. Uh, if you lay the two and a half, that's, that's fine as well, but I would try and find a minus two, even if it's sitting around minus 120. And uh, I think that they, uh, they come out ready to go and uh, take an early lead into the half. So that is what I'm going with Bucks minus two first half. All right. Those are our best bets. That'll do it for today. Alex, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me, man. Had a blast, guys. I know I uh, I probably talked too much and didn't have enough strong opinions, but uh, <laughs> hopefully hopefully, I, I, hopefully, you guys had as much fun as I did. This was a blast, guys. Yeah, we appreciate it. We, we always have a lot of fun, so we uh, will definitely have you on down the road. But for now, we wish everyone good luck in Game 4 in the British Open, and uh, we'll be back Friday for more bets. 